everybody. Welcome to Utterly Astounded, where eschatology meets current events meets real life. At least my regular real life at home here in Southern California. Today, I have on this podcast a lovely young woman, Christy Rose. We got connected through a friend who realized we were both podcasting and thought it would be a good idea for us to meet. And it was. Christy hosts the podcast, Smiling at the Future, which is based on Proverbs 3125. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. And her podcast is a resource for Christian single women that encompasses more than dating advice. It's living the single life and doing it well, which we know is not always easy if you've ever been single for a period of time and has its challenges. But The podcast helps to put to rest fears and insecurities surrounding singleness and gives real-life practical wisdom grounded in scripture. The topics she's covered include living with roommates, taking care of aging loved ones, third-wheeling with families, communicating with men, doing ministry and missions as a single woman, and that is how we originally got connected. I was delighted to be a guest on her show because I was single until I was almost 40, so we chatted about what that was like and trusting the Lord in the midst of some insecurities that came with that. And that was really fun to do. So Christy attends Grace Community Church, as I do, works uh, for a Christian ministry, and she is one of seven children, grew up in a pastor's home, and besides working and hosting her podcast, she likes to hike, and I do as well. And we have to do that once together, Christy. And she enjoys her niece and nephew. And so after we did your podcast, I asked you what topic was of great import to you and scripturally kind of what was your favorite at the time and what was compelling you. And right away you said heaven. And I thought, I love that because in these days we're facing, especially as the darkness seems to surround our society and things are devolving quickly, I think we need to talk about heaven. We need to anticipate heaven. We need to think about it more often. And we need to have it inform our minds when we are tempted to be fearful in these last days. So we say heaven is our true home, but putting feet to that and believing that, that takes some work. So the first thing that we're going to do is something that every Christian loves to do, and that is to share their testimony. So how did you come to know the Lord? Thank you, Lynn. And it is an honor to be chatting with you again. And I loved our first conversation. Um, And I just want to reiterate that, yes, heaven is a topic that is not discussed enough among Christians. Um, I am truly mind boggled that this is not something we're talking about daily in our everyday conversation. Right. Um, And even I know even in seminary, they, I think, devote very little attention in their classes to studying this topic. Um, So it it seems woefully overlooked um, among Christian evangelicalism, um, which is a shame because it's where we're headed. It's where we're going. It's where we're going to spend eternity. And I mean, you should, as Paul often talked about running this race, you have your gaze fixed on where you're running your goal, your prize. And so it's hard to run the race. Well, when you don't have a clear goal in mind, clear focus of where your destination is. 
So, um, yeah, I just hope to instill and ignite a passion for heaven in the listeners today and that it will help you live your life well for the glory of God when you have eternity on your mind. So yes, my testimony, um, Lynn, you did mention in the introduction that I'm from a pastor's home. So I grew up with a very clear understanding of the gospel. So I didn't have, you know, a a past life of sin, a clear turning point that I have a date in my Bible that says, this is the day that God saved me. And so it was because of that and also very introspective. I I still am to, and it has its faults. (laughs) Um, I am too, by the way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, So that can lead to a, a lack of assurance of your salvation. And also just being a woman you know, I'm very heavily in tune with my emotions and feelings. Um, and so just kind of a recipe for a perfect storm, but it was during my teenage years, um, that my mother, who is a godly woman and has been such an example and a mentor to me my whole life, uh, just patiently, um, every month when this topic would just bubble up in my heart and I would just come to her weeping and just, I don't know if I'm saved. And I would just wrestle with that. Um, she just so kindly pointed me back to God's promises and his faithfulness, you know, taking my eyes off of me, off of my sin, placing my hope and trust in the finished work of Christ, just helping me to not rely on my feelings. And then also reminding me, because a lot of my lack of assurance kind of boiled down to, I don't love the Lord enough. I don't feel like I have all these emotions and love for God that I want to have. And so she just explained that grows over time. When you see God's faithfulness in your life, when you see him answering prayer and leading you along, your love will grow. And I shouldn't expect to have the same measure of love for the Lord that she has. She's walked with the Lord much longer than I have. She actually has a whole box of answers to prayer that she loves to share with people. So it's living a life with the Lord that's going to grow your affection for him and not to um, put an undue expectation that as a 14 year old, I'm going to have this overwhelming love for the Lord now, but it grows and, um, God will complete the work he started in you. So that's just a little, uh, my, my testimony in a nutshell. I love that. And I love that she was faithful to show you God's faithfulness. And that was something that you could cling to and understand. And that's so true. It's not all going to come in one moment, but it's a walk and he will prove himself faithful but we just need to believe, receive and believe the gospel. Yes. (laughs) So excellent. Thanks so much for sharing that. Well, you are a young woman, 32, and most women your age, Christian or not, are thinking about their careers, getting married, having kids, college, grad school, and not that there's anything wrong with those topics, of course, but they are caught up in the daily events. And I would say that's true about a lot of people. So even if they are committed to church and prayer and Bible study, heaven seems to be a last on the list topic. So for you, I just am so curious why it has captured your attention so much. 
Yeah. And that, that is a good question. And it does start uh, for me in my life at a rather young age. Um, and it was how our parents taught us growing up. And um, they were very good about reading us missionary biographies. We would regularly go through the book Pilgrim's Progress together. Um, and the whole climax of Pilgrim's journey is to the celestial city. That's the whole goal um, of that story. And so they just, yeah, very instrumental in all of our lives, their children's lives, um, in helping us to have an eternal perspective at a young age. Um, but I think for me, one of the most pivotal years in my life where the Lord helped to um, instill this focus in me was um, I had just turned 20 years old and I just started battling insomnia. There was no explanation for it. I did. A, I went to a lot of doctors. I did a lot of tests and I couldn't find the root cause. Um, so I just had to weather that storm in a sense. And, wow, and that's very tough at such a young age. I mean, you know, most people my age and older, we sort of expect to have some sleepless nights, but at 20, that's really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And it was a disappointing year because it, um, I had to quit my job. I had to drop out of college classes. Wow. Um, I missed out on a trip to Israel. And so it was just kind of a series of disappointments on top of when you're not sleeping, you're just, you know, affects every area of life, your sure. emotions, your thoughts. I picked up the book Heaven by Randy Alcorn during that that dark season, literally dark season, because I'm walking the halls in the middle of the night. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so there's a there's a quote in the book I want to read here, and it really touched my heart, um, touched a chord in my heart because I was going through those health problems. He said, Christians faced with terminal illness or imminent death often feel they're leaving the party before it's over. They have to go home early. They're disappointed thinking of all they'll miss when they leave. But the truth is the real party is underway at home, precisely where they're going. They're not the ones missing the party. Those of us left behind are. Um, so just realizing all the disappointments I was facing. And then even, you know, when you're in a health crisis that doesn't have answers, you don't know how long it's going to continue. And that can be um, just a pretty bleak outlook for your future. Cause for me, I'm thinking, am I ever going to get married or have a normal life? If I can't sleep, I'm not missing anything in the long run for all of eternity. That's where our real true life and home is. Um, I think that's such an important point. Honestly, mm -hmm. it really is that that the future is really the thing that we're supposed to be looking forward to. And I was even thinking about how we're called to think about it, even in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I think it's so true on the way to do that is to think about what that future is going to hold and what that means. Mm. And so uh, even set your heart, I guess, is used in the Gospels when the Son of Man came to seek what was lost. It's an active single-minded investigation to pursue that, which is above. It's a command that we think that way. I had one more thought on the sure. point there. Um, so 
my dad passed away unexpectedly about three years ago. Um, he was healthy and um, passed away while he was hiking. That was, um, it was really difficult for our family. We were completely unprepared for that in the sense that there was no goodbye. There was no parting words. There was no time to express how much we loved him. So just the thought that um, he's going to be welcoming me in heaven someday, and I'm going to be able to hug him again and see him again. It's just interesting because I was just teaching on Acts 20 that that's so funny that you would say this because I was talking about how Paul says to the Ephesian elders, you will see my face no more mm-hmm. and how they, they, you know, wept on the beach and they were tugging, trying to pull each other away from each other because the, the saying goodbye was so emotional. And so just thinking about you and your dad and knowing that it, that's a really tough position when you think, uh, I didn't get to say those things maybe that I would have loved to have said, had I known that would be the last time, mm-hmm. but the beauty of the resurrection, of course, and the fact that your dad is a believer is that you mm-hmm. will be able to see him again. And there in heaven, there will be no more partings. Yes. No more having to say goodbye. So I mm-hmm. really appreciate that story that you share. Oh, thank you. And my dad was just, he lived, um, in light of eternity, he would sign all of our birthday cards with Philippians one twenty one: to live is Christ to die is gain. And that's wow. actually on his, um, on his gravestone. We put that verse because it's true. It's how he lived. And now he is in the presence of the Lord experiencing what he, um, only saw by faith, but now he's seeing with his own eyes. What about misconceptions that people have about heaven? I think this is really important too. And again, I think that when you study heaven, you start to get into it and get into the topic. God reveals the truth about heaven and some of those misconceptions fall off. So I'd love to hear what you have come to. I do think it's important to talk about this. I think some people believe that if you're too focused on heaven, that that's a form of escapism, but that according to God's word is not true. You know, as we talked about, the more you're focused on heaven, the more earthly good you will be. It doesn't help us escape the trials of this life, but it actually helps us to endure the trials of this life. Absolutely. And then I also just invite the listeners to use your imagination right now, close your eyes. And when I say the word heaven, what comes to your mind? Um, if you have any measure of worldliness kind of in, in your thought process there, it might look like boredom sitting on clouds, playing harps, which I actually am a harpist. So to me, that doesn't sound too bad, (laughs) Um, but just, you know, kind of a sterile environment covered in gold, you know, you might have these worldly cartoonish images in your mind when you think about heaven, but that is not what the scriptures talk about. And then also there's the verse that can be taken out of context. First uh, Corinthians two, nine um, things, which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. And then they stop there and they say, okay, you know, we can't, we can't even imagine it. It can't even enter our human heart. What right. <laughs> heaven will be like, but the very next uh, phrase, the very next verse says, 
for to us, God revealed them through his spirit. Um, so God has revealed things in his word through his spirit about heaven enough to, to help us imagine it. Um, and I think just that phrase have not entered the human heart. I think, um, I believe Paul wrote, uh, first Corinthians that that is in a way helping us to use our imagination, you know, yes, that's a, that's a, almost a call for people to try and imagine what heaven will be like if they, if it can't be even imagined, you know, that at least for me, that spurs on my imagination of what heaven will be like. So let's talk about the judgment seat of Christ, Bema seat of Christ. I, I think that people confuse this a lot. I know that I still do. I have to go back <laughs> and kind of review, like, what, what is this? And, and what are we going to be experiencing there? And how can we form our thoughts about that and be something again, that we look forward to? Yes. And Lynn, it was really good for me to study this also because I realized I had some fuzzy thinking about this as well. And I think it's going to be helpful for people to have a better understanding of what's awaiting because really the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment for believers that we believe um, will take place in heaven. So at that point, you know, there's not God's not going to be bringing up your sin. Um, I know some people might think that their whole life of sin is going to be played on an IMAX screen for everyone Which is to a see. Horrifying thought, right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is. And, you know, that's not based in scripture. It doesn't ever mention anything like that. And in fact, whenever God talks about sin as uh, with Christians, you know, he talks about casting it out of his sight and away from him. And Isaiah 38, 17 talks about Christ casting our sin behind his back. And what's really cool about that word back is it actually means between your shoulder blades. So in essence, God is saying, I have put your sin in a place that I can't see, even if I wanted to. (laughs) I've never Um, heard that. I love that imagery. Yeah. And so God is not going to be bringing your sin up. That's already been covered. And so that, that word judgment there is not to be pictured as if you're in a courtroom and you're the defendant, God's the judge. That is not the imagery. It's actually more like an Olympics award stand, um, which is a better way to envision this, that God is actually (laughs) going to be handing out rewards to believers at this time. Um, and there's a verse first Corinthians four, verse five, therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of human hearts. And then praise will come to each person from God. So every person will receive personal praise from the Lord. Um, and then also, you know, just that first, first Corinthians three twelve. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with go- gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's works will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work, which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. 
anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet only so as through fire. So the whole idea of wood, hay and stubble being burned up there, those aren't moral things. Uh, wood, hay and stubble, they're just kind of worthless things. Um, so I like to think of this as maybe the time wasting things in my life, maybe the, you know, could be equated to social media or Netflix (laughs) or (laughs) things that are sinful. You're not being judged for them. They're just of no consequence. They're not done for the kingdom of God. So they're not bringing a reward. They're just kind of time waster things. Um, those are the things that are going to be burned up, um, and, you know, not remembered, but you're not going to be judged as if those were sin at that moment before the Lord, the Bema seat. And that helps us too, I think, to, again, be encouraged by that, because Mm -hmm. I was even thinking, and this sort of hooks into the believer's rewards, uh, you know, sometimes people are uncomfortable with the truth. We are rewarded in heaven, Mm. (laughs) but, and that somehow that shouldn't be our motivation, but the Lord set it up that way. It's his system Mm -hmm. that he he made us to be motivated by that end goal. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Randy Alcorn talks about service being, being a reward. Mm. And he says, the apostle Paul said that the eternal rewards are available. Kind of like you were talking about, not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing second mm. Timothy four, eight. Mm. And like you said, everyone will be rewarded Ephesians six, seven through eight with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. So God's credits and rewards will be appropriate to the attitude and action of our work. Again, that takes my thoughts to what I'm doing now, connecting to what is going to be rewarded in heaven and that no good thing done for his glory will go unrewarded. Yes. And I was just, again, I was talking about my women's Bible study. I was talking about this too, that sometimes things go sideways. (laughs) A lot of times things can go sideways (laughs) in a conversation. Maybe you long to go a certain way that didn't, or you pour your heart out in evangelism and it goes over like a lead balloon. My friend will say, that's recorded in heaven. That's recorded in heaven. Take your thoughts there. God knows that's eternal reward. So that whatever happens here, the Lord knows he's seen it. He's recorded it. He knows our hearts. He reads our thoughts. He understands what we're attempting to do Mm -hmm. and it matters for eternity and will be evaluated for eternity. And I think that really helps too, because we can get bogged down with like, oh, that didn't work or Mm -hmm. that didn't go the way I wanted to, wanted it to, or, Mm. you know, I just didn't maybe get enough done today. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can say. Oh, yes. And so it's, that's such a good point, Lynn, that we're not, God's not judging us based on our results, but on our faithfulness. Right. That's what's most important to the Lord. And you think of so many missionaries or pastors who saw little fruit in their lifetime. And, but after they were gone, the Lord brought a harvest that their ministry was the seed for. Right. Um, And so be encouraged, even in evangelism, you might be planting a seed, someone else might be watering, but God will look at that faithful service, um, not the results necessarily. So, right. 
What about uh, from your study on the new heavens and the new earth? And again, thank you uh, for recommending the book because I'm getting more grounded in my understanding of heaven being a real place. And then the new heavens and the new earth being a real place so that my feet can be more grounded. I mean, sometimes I would think heaven and then even with the new heavens and the new earth, well, where are we going to go in the meantime? And so there can be sort of this disconnected feel, Yeah. but, but the truth is it's not disconnected at all. Mm-hmm. And it helps me get that, like I said, that sort of strength underneath my feet that it is going to have to do with the earth that we're actually on. So, yes. Yeah. And you know, if you know your eschatology, you know that we're skipping over some things here, but we're going to land (laughs) (laughs) on this because this is where we will be for eternity. But what I think is it is good for Christians to know that we are going to be on a real physical earth someday. Yes. Um, the, the scriptures talk about heaven, the new earth that way in revelation 22 verses one through two says, and he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of its street on either side of the river was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So, I mean, you just think about all the terms in there that we are familiar with that are earthly river, water, tree, fruit, leaves. It's not like something that we can't attach to already. So I love that truth. Yeah. And yeah, the earth, it'll be the same, but different. No more curse. No more night, which for those like myself who suffered with insomnia, (laughs) that's that's such good news. (laughs) Yes. Never have to try and sleep again. Um, So that brings a lot of comfort. Um, But not only is the earth going to be different and redeemed, but we will be the same, but different. Right. And that I think is, I, you know, for anyone who has any kind of illness or handicap, the idea of a new resurrected body is something that's on their mind a lot. (laughs) They're looking forward to that. Yeah. It's thrilling. Yes. No more, no more fatigue, no more, you know, it's whatever our soul desires, our body is going to be perfectly equipped to do for the Lord. So just uh, a really exciting picture there for believers. Um, we'll be completely in sync and God designed us to be in bodies. Um, you know, we're not just spiritual, but we have a symbiotic nature. So another aspect of heaven, and I know I'm kind of doing the shotgun approach. I'm just kind of hopping around here, but these are all the things that really resonate with my heart and that I'm excited about. So the fellowship with other believers, this is really important, especially after being through the year that we've all been through when there's been some disunity among believers. And so if that has been your experience and if you're struggling with that, um, just know that in heaven, you will be completely perfect and unified with all other believers. Um, We'll be in complete harmony and agreement. And I have a quote here by the Puritan Richard Baxter, who really hit the nail on the head. Here is no contention because there is none of this pride, ignorance, or other corruption. Paul and Barnabas are now fully reconciled. (laughs) 
<laughs> there they are. Not every man conceited of his own understanding and in love with the issue of his own brain, but all admiring the divine perfection and in love with God and one another. Luther and Zwingli will be agreed. <laughs> there shall be a full <laughs> reconciliation between Calvinists and Lutherans. Right. Um, we will all be uh, in, in love with Christ and all united. We have to remember and keep that, that big picture perspective. Otherwise, we can uh, let that disunity um, harm the um, testimony of Christ. Exactly. It can erode our relationships and thereby erode, uh, yeah, the beauty of Christ's church. And so mm -hmm. that's a big deal. It's really a big mm -hmm. deal. And I'm glad you said that. It's true that this is just one of those things that we can see in this past year, how the enemy can use something like that, something like a pandemic, for instance, to, uh, well, do a lot of things, rob us of our joy, et cetera, but to create factions in mm -hmm. the church. So we have to be on guard for that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely yes. true. And once again, I have another quote by Richard Baxter, but he just really says it well. He does. Um, he says, for those that have prayed and fasted and wept and watched and waited together now to joy and enjoy and praise together should much advance their pleasure. I am certain of this fellow Christians, that as we have been together in the labor, duty, danger, and distress, so shall we be in the great recompense and deliverance. And as we have been scorned and despised together, so we shall be crowned and honored together. And we who have gone through the day of sadness shall enjoy together that day of gladness. How overflowing our joy is going to be in heaven when we're sharing that joy and seeing every person perfect and renewed and a new body. And I mean, it's just going to be this overflowing of joy. So I think with the idea of living somewhere forever, that can intimidate people. Um, just that idea of you will exist forever, but a good way to have a better perspective on that and to actually bring gratitude through um, understanding this is that we are going to live as long as God himself will live. And it's just a, it wow. might make your brain mm -hmm. explode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Blow up. Yeah, exactly. But just, I mean, God has chosen to bind himself to us for all of eternity. Revelation 21 and chapter 22 are my favorite passages in the Bible. And I would encourage the listeners to just spend time meditating on those chapters. Uh, but one through four says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among the people and he will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away and 
that just God himself will be among us. He will be with us for all of eternity on this earth that he created for us, which another kindness of the Lord, he's going to live in the place that's most well-suited for us. <laughs> yes, exactly. And that I love that because it helps me to envision it with more clarity. And this, I think, is only going to be as exciting as how much you know about the Lord. Um, you know, if you if seeing God does not thrill your soul, I would say it's, it's probably like the analogy that you have a filing cabinet in your heart and you pull out the file that has the word God on the tab and you open it up and there's nothing inside. Mm. You just don't know who God is. Um, and if that's kind of where you fall and you don't get excited about seeing God face to face, I would exhort you to study his attributes pick up yes. knowing God by J.I. Packer, <laughs> knowledge of the holy. Um, there's so many books on God's attributes, study his holiness. R.C. Sproul has so many sermons on that topic. Learn about who you are going to see face to face and your excitement will definitely grow. First uh, Corinthians 13 verse 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as also I have been fully known. And I would just say that in light of that, you know, the days are, are getting darker Mm -hmm. and there is persecution of the church. We're seeing that we know that that is ramping up and in the midst of what we'll be facing, I would say in the days to come how can the truth of heaven help us rejoice in trials and tribulations? Of course, our thoughts about it can, can help us definitely. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of fearful people young and old. uh, But I think studying heaven will help us to remain steadfast. And I'd love your thoughts on that. One of the things that I was thinking of is Mm -hmm. I love thinking about the earth's kingdoms will be handed over to the saints placed under their just rule So all of the wrong things done by earth's terrible leaders throughout Mm. history, that will all be over. And that helps me look at the government correctly now, because sometimes that can be a stumbling block to my joy. There will be no more persecution and no more injustice. And Mm. the same uh, earthly kingdoms ruled by ungodly humans, Randy talks about this in his book, will be ultimately ruled by godly humans. That's going to be us. Yeah. (laughs) We'll inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5 and Daniel 7, 18, the saints of the most high will receive the kingdom and possess it forever. And that's really exciting. So what's happening now, you know, matters for eternity. We are headed toward the fulfillment of a divine plan involving a new earth with culture and citizens that glorify God. In Psalm 47, two through three, it says, for the Lord most high is awesome. He is a great king over all the earth. He will subdue the peoples under us and the nations under our feet. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's good reminder in light of living in a corrupt <laughs> world and, and corrupt rulers. Um, and I like how Lynn, you brought out too, how we'll, we will be ruling and that ties in back with the believers rewards. Cause God does talk about that being a factor. That's part of our rewards as we will be able to rule maybe some to greater capacity than others, but, mm-hmm. um, 
another reason to be good stewards of what the Lord has entrusted to us now. Um, right. But just in light of the trials and tribulations of this life, for me, I, I think of it in just pretty simple terms, and it really just comes down to how short our lives are now yes. and how long eternity is. Um, Paul said this in the midst of persecution, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And then in second uh, Corinthians four, 17 through 18 for our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternity is a really difficult concept for our minds to wrap around, but I wanted to share an analogy that has helped me understand this, or at least think about it. Um, And I think I saw this, I went to a church and they had this kind of like a an uh, example that they shared, they had a string tied from one edge of the sanctuary to the other edge. And the pastor talked about, imagine this string, if it was, you know, reached to the moon and then it went past the moon to the edges of the solar system. And then it went all the way out to the edges of eternity. And uh, on that string, he had a quarter inch bead, just this tiny little plastic bead on the string. And he just said, that's your life. Wow. Strings eternity. Mm-hmm. And when you look at it in that light, you know, anything hard now can be endured. And when we have all of eternity of bliss and paradise waiting for us. Um, so just the, and the fact that, you know, we don't live as long as Methuselah did. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> our exactly. lives have been dramatically shortened by God's mm-hmm. kindness. Mm-hmm. I mean, 70 to 100 years is all we have to live on a sin-cursed earth, and it's the closest to hell that we as Christians will ever get, and we have all of eternity waiting for us. And on that flip side, it's also the closest to heaven that unbelievers will ever have, and that should draw our compassion and spur us on to evangelism um, as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that. That's all such great truth. And speaking of evangelism, I find myself, if I'm witnessing to someone, I don't really talk about heaven all that much. And I know depending on the time period I have, I can't, it's like there's eternal life and you need to either be with Christ in heaven or on you're going to end up in a godless Christless eternity in hell. And again, it's hard for even Christians to get their minds around heaven, let alone somebody who doesn't know the Lord and doesn't really think too much about eternity. So I kind of wonder, maybe you've thought about that, how the topic can be used sort of evangelistic. I think definitely with, with trials and tribulations and to think that will all pass, this is a momentary light affliction and your eternity is going to be where you're going to spend all, you know, the entire, really the entire time and maybe just giving the gospel and how you could weave that in a little bit. Yeah, that's a good question. I think this, this might just lead into how I would present heaven in a gospel presentation, but 
a lot of people, and especially young people, when you try to share the gospel with them, they're very apathetic about eternity. And when you try to instill in them some fear of what's coming, they don't seem to care much. And so a helpful example that I've used um, in sharing the gospel, and I believe this came from, um, oh, I'm blanking on his name, famous evangelist, um, Ray Comfort. That's oh, right. Of. Yeah. He's um, great. Yeah. Yeah. He has, has a lot of good analogies, but one of them he said is, um, you ask somebody if, if, um, you know, you tell them, okay, you have the perfect pair of eyes and we will pay you a million dollars. If you give us one of your eyes and we'll replace it with a glass one that just looks completely normal, except you won't be able to see out of it. Would you do that for a million dollars? And if anyone is in their right mind, they would <laughs> yeah, say, absolutely not. not. Yeah. Um, or, you know, both eyes for $5 million. Of course not. No one would give up sight for any amount of money. Right. And, and so you would use that analogy to say, okay, if your eyes are so precious to you, what about your soul? And your eyes are just the windows to your soul, who you are. Isn't that precious to you? Isn't that worth considering where you're going to spend eternity? You value that. And so that was, that's just been helpful in helping me instill a love, a measure of um, importance on somebody's soul and on their life. I would caution Christians when you're sharing the gospel and you want to weave heaven into your gospel presentation to be careful of only making it sound like this Edenic paradise Um, and that, you know, anybody would sign up for heaven if they knew it would be like a resort and be perfect and (laughs) pain-free and all of these things, which is true about heaven. And I don't want to completely discredit those reasons for, um, getting someone excited about heaven, but the true draw of heaven is Christ. And if they're not interested in Christ now and in worshiping Christ now. And if they could theoretically go to heaven where everyone is focused and interested on worshiping Christ and on making much of him, they're not going to fit in very well, right? (laughs) It's not going to be paradise to them if they have no interest in the real focus and joy of heaven. And that is um, so, that is such an important point. And I almost think about that in, in conversations that I have with unbelieving friends and family regarding heaven or with some, when someone dies, etc. It's, it's interesting, Christy, because 99% of the time they talk about it as though it's simply a place that's man-centered. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have anything to do with God and Christ. It's just, oh, someplace that will go and it's a quote unquote better place, mm-hmm. but it's void of the real reason that it exists and the main player. And so I think that's an important point and probably maybe can use that a little bit more and kind of ask some of those probing questions. Well, what, 
do you think heaven is like and why do you think it exists mm-hmm. and who is there? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And do you want to go there and right. why would you want to go there? Yeah. Right. Right. And I would even direct that question to the listeners today. I think when you think about heaven, it can be a really good gauge for your spiritual state and your spiritual appetite. If you're only thinking about heaven because you're going to be trial and pain free, but you don't think about it because of who you will see, that's a problem. And I think that's a, a common struggle with Christians to reprioritize our focus because those are good gifts of the Lord to be to be in paradise, to be in a new body, to be on a new earth. But the focus and your goal is to see your maker, to see the one who died for you. So I would just encourage listeners to really think about what are you looking forward to the most about heaven? Right. Is it Christ? And and, and pray and ask the Lord, because that's, I mean, that's a heart cry of mine. I know that I don't love the Lord as much as I want to, but once again, remember God looks at your motives when he also is handing out those rewards and my motive and my desire is to know the Lord more and he will be faithful to grow that anticipation. I would like to just end here with the passage, the very last chapter in the Bible. I think it's a fitting, fitting conclusion. Yes. Excellent. It's uh, revelation 22, starting in verse 12. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to reward each one as his work deserves. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. And down in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you of these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star, the spirit and the bride say, come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty, come, let the one who desires take the water of life without cost. So I would encourage the listeners come to Jesus. If you haven't, today is the day of salvation. Um, don't put it off another day. It is in this life that we make those decisions that affect our eternity. Christy, thank you so much for your thoughts and your joy and the way that the Lord has worked in you a desire for him and a desire to be in eternity with him. And so this has just been a great topic of conversation and I'm like you encourage our listeners, if you have not placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, exactly like she said, scripture says today is the day of salvation. And you don't know when God is going to call you. It could be this very day. So it is crucial. And then for all of those who are believers that are listening, like she said, pray that your heart is filled with anticipation to see our Lord and King. So thank you again. It's been delightful. Thank you. It was an honor and it was a pleasure to study this topic. 